This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, yes! Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, Brian Com. Hey, Elon. Hey, everybody. This is, I suppose, the Sidney Crosby edition of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, which is somewhat appropriate because we have a lot of Pittsburgh news to get to once again this week. What do you mean the Sidney Crosby edition? It's number 87. Oh, I thought you were going to say like, we've been slumping, but we're starting to heat up or something like that. No, it was strictly nominal. Okay, well, like you say, we're going to be getting to the Pittsburgh Penguins. We're going to be getting to a lot of teams. There's a lot of stuff to talk about this week. I'm very excited. Before we get into it, let's go to DauberHockey.com, the best fantasy hockey website out there. We're really proud to be presented by Dauber Hockey because this is a fantastic site. We say it every week, but you could find all of the stuff you need, line combos, starting goalies. When I say line combos, I mean the combos of a game happening as it's happening. Yesterday when I saw that Michael Grabner was having such a hot game for the Leafs. I was curious, who's he playing with? And it was Nazem Kadri and Leo Komarov. So good for Michael Grabner. Two goals and two assists yesterday. And good for DauberHockey.com. Also, there's the player profiles. You've got daily ramblings, rankings of different players. It's got it all. You've got to check it out. If you've never checked out DauberHockey.com and you've been listening to this podcast, tweet at us and let us know because I'd like to find this type of animal that for some reason listens to a fantasy hockey podcast but doesn't go to DauberHockey.com. For sure. And my use of DauberHockey.com, of course, predates this podcast, but it's what I still use to figure out what's going on with a certain player. One of my favorite features is going into a player profile and getting links to all that has been written about them on the site. So it's not just numbers, you know, you can't reduce everything to a stat, but you can get access to anything that has been said by any Dauber Hockey columnist, either in an article or in one of the daily ramblings, straight from a player's profile page. And among those lists of articles that you'll get from a player's profile, you'll also get Keeping Carlson episodes now, where we've talked about that player. So for example, you're looking up Connor Sheary's player profile, you will now see a link to the latest Keeping Carlson episodes this very episode to get more info on what he's been up to lately. And Elon, what has he been up to lately? <laughs> wow, so meta, Brian. Okay, we've got a lot to get to with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Let's start there for this week. We talked about them last week. Normally, I don't like talking about the same team two weeks in a row, but so much has changed. And I guess everything started with Bo Bennett getting injured. He had been in the top six on the top line with Sidney Crosby and Kunitz. He got injured. We were wondering, oh, who's going to take his place? Maybe Hornquist gets back in the top six. What ended up happening 
happening is the Penguins called up Connor Sheary, someone who, of course, I've never heard of, but Brian probably knew all about for many years. And he came in. I obviously didn't even notice Connor Sheary got called up until I saw on Roto World that he'd be playing with Sidney Crosby. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Game one versus Boston. He played 16 minutes and 41 seconds, which is pretty good for a new player. But, you know, no points, three shots on goal. Then the next game against Boston... A golden assist! The goal assisted by Crosby. The assist was on a goal by Trevor Daly, who we'll get to. Also assisted by Crosby. So he's playing with good people and getting points with those people. Then yesterday against Carolina, Pittsburgh couldn't score any goals. Or they scored one. But Connor Sheary, no points, but six shots on goal. So this guy has made quite an impact. And I'm sure a lot of fantasy poolies are wondering if they should be rushing to grab Sidney Crosby's newest line mate, Connor Sheary. Brian, who is this guy? Well, before being called up, he had the highest point scoring pace of any player down in Wilkes-Barre Scranton. That's the AHL Penguins affiliate. He had 25 points in 24 games to begin his season there. And in fact, that's the only place he's played pro hockey. Spent his whole season there last year, picking up 20 goals and 45 points in 58 games played. Had a pretty good showing in the playoffs there too. And now he's getting a chance to make an impact in his second full pro season at the NHL level. Now he's a small guy. He's listed at just... Five foot nine, weighs 175. But of course, in today's NHL, that is not necessarily anything that should be holding a player back. It's exciting to see the Penguins give him a chance. And like you said, Elon, he's cashed in from a very good spot in the lineup. Yeah, still not getting the top power play time that we'd love to see to really like dive in on a guy. But still, when you're on that line, if everyone was rushing to grab Valerie Nachushkin when he was playing with Ben and Sagan, those same people I feel like should probably drop Valerie Nachushkin now that he's been bumped. And we'll get to him a bit later. But maybe Maybe grab Connor Sheary if you're the type of person that likes these lottery ticket types of free agents. Seems like as good a bet as any. Yeah, and this has always been the way with Pittsburgh, right? Who's playing with Crosby? It's always a revolving door. I'm going to grab that guy this year. The revolving door has continued somewhat, but most of the people going through it have already been drafted because you have high expectations for them on their own, or Crosby hasn't been producing. But now he's produced in seven of his last 10 games, which is good enough to think, well, whoever he's playing with probably gets a bump in fantasy value could be worth owning in a deep league, especially if you are tired of the guy who is currently at the bottom of your roster. Right, and speaking of the revolving door, let's look at the current top six on Pittsburgh, which is changing all the time, but in their last game it was Crosby, Kunitz, and Sheary, and then Hornqvist, Kessel, and Malkin. So Hornqvist got back in the top six. Of course, there weren't any goals aside from a power play goal, so who knows if this will all get shuffled around before the next game, but it was David Perron who got bumped out. So I guess the takeaway is probably don't want to make any big decisions based on this one game of new lines because they're changing pretty much every day. But okay, that's the forwards on Pittsburgh. There's also interesting changes both in defense and in net. So maybe let's go to defense now, where we talked about last week that Latang was injured and how they pretty much had no scoring defensemen left available, or not that many. But I guess the Penguins agreed. Maybe they listened to the podcast and they thought, hmm, Brian's right. So they decided to go and make a trade. They traded Rob Scuderi to Chicago for Trevor Daly. And Trevor Daly, who had really been languishing in Chicago this year, he was doing nothing and playing like horrible minutes, like eight minutes a game sometimes. He comes to Pittsburgh, and in three games with the Penguins, he has two points. And in the last couple of games he's played over 20 minutes so Trevor Daly definitely has a more important role on Pittsburgh than he did in Chicago and his assist yesterday against Carolina that was on the power play he assisted on Evgeny Malkin's goal so he's getting power play time on the Penguins and this is that power play that we talk about every week that should be a strong power play even though the numbers don't show it but who knows maybe now with Trevor Daly there to help at least while the tang's out maybe they could improve and maybe Daly will be able to cash in on some points that is definitely the hope and that is what we saw last year in Dallas with Trevor Daly and that's the 
sort of thing that I suggested might happen on this week's patron cast that we had earlier on Tuesday. And it seems like he is the guy on the point. Oli Mata, who we thought like might be the only legitimate contender to seeing extended time, is not on any power play unit right now. That leaves Daly as really the only experienced NHL seeing power play time. And that first unit still looks deadly on paper. They'll need to start converting in real time to really make Daly's spot there worthwhile. But it's hard to look away when you see him in such a good position and you remember what he was able to do when he was in a similarly amazing position last year with the Stars. Now the only caveat is, Elon, and you reminded me this when I was considering picking him up for a move I wanted to make this morning, is that once Latang gets back, Daly probably ends up back on a second power play at best. So I wouldn't go making a move that puts you in a precarious long-term position to add Daly right now, but for some short-term help, you could probably do a lot worse than Trevor Daly. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where if you have a spot on your roster that you're revolving for whoever's currently the flavor of the week, whoever's currently doing well, you might as well grab Trevor Daly because he's probably going to be getting a few more points as a defenseman, which is harder to find than people who will get you points as a forward. So if you need to fill a defense roster spot, why not grab Trevor Daly? The only downside is, as opposed to some other defensemen, he's not going to help you much in peripherals like hits and blocks. But hopefully he'll give you some points, some power play points, which are quite valuable in fantasy in most leagues. Okay, and we're still not done with Pittsburgh because Marc-Andre Fleury is injured. The news kind of came out of nowhere earlier in the week. Like, I didn't even know Fleury was injured. And all of a sudden they said he has a concussion and they were saying they'd expect him to be out around two weeks. So a lot of people were rushing to grab the Penguins backup, Jeff Zatkoff. He came in to play a couple of games. He didn't do too bad in the first game against Boston, but got lit up on Friday against Boston again, letting in six goals, only an 8.24 save percentage. Then yesterday, Zatkoff's backup currently, Matt Murray, he came in for the game against Carolina, and he actually had a pretty good game, only two goals against, 9.23 save percentage. So Brian, obviously this is short term, just like Trevor Daly on the power play, but for next week, do you think that they're going to keep riding Matt Murray, or do you think they're just going to go back to Zatkoff? Also, who's Matt Murray? Also, who's Jeff Zatkoff? (laughs) Well, for however much longer Fleury is out, I feel like both goalies are going to split time. And Fleury might not even be out that much longer. So if you're going to make a play for either goalie, you might only be getting maybe two, three games max out of them in the long run, depending on if Fleury can stay on track in his recovery. Jeff Zatkoff, of course, has come in, had two starts. One of them was good. One of them was not good at all. Then Matt Murray got started against Carolina, did well with a 923 save percentage. Who are these guys? Well, Jeff Zatkoff might sound like a relatively new name in the NHL, but he's been like kind of a journeyman at lower levels of hockey. He's been pro since actually 2008, 2009. He was drafted way back in 2006. He's already 28, will be turning 29 years old this summer. So maybe like an Andrew Hammond situation, not to say anything about his play, but in terms of how long he's already been bumping around pro hockey before getting this extended look. And of course, extended comes in scare quotes. It's just relative to what he's seen in the past. He came up through LA's system with Manchester and then ended up with Pittsburgh a couple years ago playing for Wilkes-Barre. Never put up really sensational numbers in the AHL. Topped out at about 920, which is okay, uh, but not fantastic. And it's not what he consistently put up there either. This year, I wouldn't expect him to set the world on fire. I'd love if he could be an average NHL goalie in the appearances that he does make. And so far, well, I guess if you have one really good start and then one really bad start, you end up being an average NHL goalie. Well, hopefully it's a little more even keel from here on in when he does get the start. Although any goalie starting behind this Pittsburgh decor is going to be in trouble. And the same goes for Matt Murray. Now, Matt Murray is a bit of a different case. He was drafted 
in the third round by Pittsburgh back in 2012. He is young. He is just 21 years old right now. And he is sort of a blue chip goaltending prospect. I'm not going to go all the way and say like he's a no doubter, but he does have several prospect watchers backing him and excited to see him perform in the NHL, which he did admirably in his first start. Down in Wilkes-Barre this year, he started 17 games and has a 938 save percentage, which is actually in line with what he did the year before when he started 40 games and had a 941 save percentage. So this guy has been doing very well in the AHL, and it's only a matter of time before he does get a chance to be the backup and potentially even the starter one day in Pittsburgh. But I don't think that this visit to the NHL is going to be a very long one. He's going to be there as long as Fleury is out, and then he's going to go back down to the AHL to keep building his resume. So Elon, to answer your question at the end of the day, well, like I said, you're only going to see a very small handful of starts from either one of these guys, but I would probably go with Zatkoff. I feel like maybe he'll see two out of every three starts while Fleury's out. And then, of course, when Fleury comes back, you might still want him on your roster to get a start every, like, 10 or 15 games or however often Marc-Andre Fleury takes a break. Yeah, I would say if you're only looking at next week and you're trying to decide which one of these guys to add, if you want to add one of them, maybe wait to see who's going to get the call for Monday's game against Columbus and then pick up that guy because then they don't play again until Saturday and they play both Saturday and Sunday. So they'll probably both get a chance on the weekend and so you might as well get the extra game from the guy on Monday. Next week is weird, by the way, Brian. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday are all off because of the Christmas holiday, which makes it a very weird week for fantasy. There are some teams playing only once, and there are some teams playing four times. So there's going to be a lot of swings based on schedule next week, which isn't the greatest. I kind of would prefer if Yahoo and ESPN would make it a two-week matchup, but it doesn't look like that's going to be happening. So check the schedule, and if you're deciding between a couple of free agents, maybe stay away from the one on the Rangers or the Sharks, because they're only playing once next week. But alright, let's get out of Pittsburgh now. Let's go to some other teams that have had some lineup shakeups and injuries and outjuries. Let's go to Anaheim quickly. And you know, I gotta say, it was a really nice run. I didn't expect it to last this long, but Ricard Raquel has been bumped from the top line. This was someone, this has been a position where we expected it to change every week. And when Ricard Raquel was announced to be playing with Perry and Getzlaff, I thought, ah, don't worry about him. He's not going to last there for long. But now it's been like a couple of months. But finally, yesterday, he got bumped to the second line playing with newly outjured Yuri Sakach and Jacob Silverberg. And the guy taking his spot on the first line is a familiar face, Patrick Maroon gets another shot up there. And you know what? I am not going to recommend picking up Patrick Maroon. I doubt this will last as long as Raquel lasted. And at the end of the day, you know, obviously Anaheim has been slumping a bit and that's probably a big part of it. But Ricard Raquel, he had a good stretch for a while on that first line, but there's a reason why he was bumped. He only has two assists in his last six games. I guess he had a goal the game before that. So you can say one goal and two assists in his last seven games, but overall not much production, though he was still getting a decent amount of shots on goal, but I guess Anaheim decided to shake it up. I don't even expect that production from Pat Maroon. And my guess is we're going to get back into the revolving door first line left wing position on Anaheim. You know, Elon, if you go back even just another game or two backwards in Raquel's game log, you'll see that he actually was not doing badly before getting bumped from the top line. It wasn't for lack of production because he had five points in eight games just recently. And then he went pointless for one. And then that was the excuse to knock him off the top line. Obviously not. Obviously it was part of a bigger shakeup in the Anaheim lineup. I'm not really high on Patrick Maroon at all, though, in that top spot. I would say half point per game at best. If you're in a really deep league, then maybe there's some value. But I also don't know if he'll stay there. Although, Elon, you did mention a revolving door. And if you look at the left side in Anaheim, you've got Raquel and Maroon. And then, like, that might be... I don't know who the other candidates are to be rotated onto that top line. I know you're about to get to 
him, but Yuri Sakach would be the only one that could end up on that top unit. And as you said, Ilan Sakach has returned to the lineup, has seven shots in two games since becoming healthy again. But of course, over the season, he has just three points in 13 games played last year, was about a third of a point per game player. Not really what we're looking for for fantasy relevance. Even on that top line, I'm not about to get too excited about him if he ends up there. Yeah, I have a feeling he will get a shot. But I also agree that I wouldn't jump to grab him. I think at this point, you could probably safely drop Ricard Raquel. Another player on Anaheim worth talking about is Ryan Kessler. I don't know if you heard, when I was talking about who's on those top two lines, I didn't mention Ryan Kessler. And that's because he's been bumped all the way down to the third line. In the last game, he was playing with Andrew Cogliano and Carl Haglin. And it's time to check in on this guy. He actually scored a goal yesterday against New Jersey. So maybe people are hoping that's the start of something. But overall on the year now, he has 12 points in 31 games. That's far less than half a point per game. Far less than fantasy relevant. I find a lot of people ask us questions about whether or not they should drop Kessler for someone else or they send us their lineup. Usually they're actually asking about dropping someone else and they send the lineup and I see Kessler there and I'm like, why don't you just drop Kessler? They're like, oh no, I need him for face-off wins. So it's really tough because I just want to say drop Kessler. He's not doing anything for you. But I guess if you need face-off wins, he has some value. But a lot of people win face-offs and you might as well try to find someone who can win face-offs and also get you some points. I don't really see much value in a third-line Anaheim center right now. He's aging, and of course, aging is a relative term. He's younger than me, but he's 31 years old. And, you know, last year he only had 47 points, and this year it's looking like he's on pace for far less than that. So, Brian, is there, like, much reason to expect Ryan Kessler to have a bounce back to his, like, 70-plus point potential that he had back before the decade shifted? No, no, Ryan Kessler is a half a point-per-game player, and if he's on your roster, the only reason why is for peripherals. And, yeah, Elon, like, I am really also puzzled when we get those questions, and we get them a lot, about whether to drop Ryan Kessler for this like 60 point score because it is just a matter of Kessler's peripherals against just straight up points. And of course, a lot of that depends on the format of your league, how much those peripherals are really worth to you. Can you win matchups without them or not? But if you're not looking at peripherals, then Ryan Kessler should not necessarily be on your roster. If you are, I understand though. I do. He's top 10 in faceoff wins this year. And even as a third line center, I think he's still trotted out to take a lot of key faceoffs and is pretty good at winning them too. Throwing a couple hits here and there, and that's pretty decent as well. In multi-cat leagues, I can see how he still has value, but if you're not worried about that, if you can get by without those peripheral categories, then you should probably be looking to somebody else rather than Kessler. Okay, and then one last note about the Ducks. The other big news this week was that Anton Kudobin was put on waivers... And he cleared waivers, so now he's in the minors. And that's kind of interesting in its own right, because I would have thought one of these teams, like maybe Arizona with Mike Smith out long-term, maybe they could have benefited from picking up Kudobin. But no, he's sent down. But I guess that answers the question of what's going to happen with John Gibson. All the people who picked up John Gibson, you know, it's kind of like a moderate result for you like for sure you were hoping that Gibson wouldn't just get sent down to the minors and you wasted your pickup or you traded for him and you got nothing out of it so Gibson's gonna be there with Anaheim but I guess the best result would have been if Frederick Anderson would have been traded as some people were speculating and Gibson would have taken the reins and become the undisputed number one goalie now it's looking like it's gonna be a platoon situation I can't see another goalie tandem right now that's as interesting to me as the one in Anaheim I could see it really going either way Frederick Anderson played his first game or started his first game in a long time yesterday and he had a great game against New Jersey 21 saves only one goal against got the win I guess now we'll see what Anaheim does with their next game I'd assume they'll stick with Anderson though before they were sticking with Gibson who was hot but he didn't have such a great game against Buffalo so should be interesting
interesting to watch. I would still hang on to Gibson for sure. I think he has just as good a shot as Anderson to get starts. And at the worst, I see them being 50-50. Right. I think Gibson, anyone who added him already, is in a good position to have a goalie who is probably going to be in somewhat of a tandem. Like Anderson still could get maybe 60-65% of the starts going forward, but that's probably the high end. So you can count on Gibson seeing regular time, like one out of every three games, at least in the short term. And then if Anderson falters and Gibson can take the reins, maybe that whole situation can flip itself. So good on everybody who was able to rush out and grab Gibson when he got called up, or even before then. And Anderson owners are also probably pretty happy with what they saw from that first start in a month. He hadn't played for so long, came back, did well. Hopefully he can string a few more of those together. But right now, by the way, it's worth mentioning, Anaheim is still pretty awful. Like, they are still at the bottom of the standings. Everyone remembers how bad their start to the season was, and now that things have become normal, I think people sort of just assume that they're back in their rightful place in the standings, but no. No, they are still way, way down the line, and I would wonder how far away we are from a coaching change for the Ducks if this continues. Yeah, there were rumblings that there would be a coaching change in Pittsburgh, and ended up happening. Now the rumblings are for Anaheim. So yeah, that would be interesting, and we'll see what happens. If that happens, we'll definitely cover and the implications on the lines. But for now, I guess for Frederick Anderson owners, they're maybe disappointed that Gibson didn't get sent down because now he has to battle for starts more than he would have against Anton Kudobin. But it will be interesting to watch for sure. I guess people will keep sending in those questions of Gibson versus Hellebuck versus Nilsson because that seems to be the common three goalies that we get asked about. Nilsson, by the way, another uh, rough start yesterday. Maybe, Brian, your prediction is right. Maybe Cam Talbot will start to get another chance to earn his way back in Edmonton. But maybe that's a topic for a whole other segment. Let's move on to the New York Islanders now. A lot of movement there. So Kyle Ocposo is injured out of nowhere. That was very annoying. Just, by the way, Kyle Ocposo, he's going to miss the next two games. So hopefully it is just the next two games and he'll be back after Christmas. His next chance would be all the way next Sunday against Toronto. So he's definitely out for the majority of next week. And the Islanders have also shaken up their lines. Just like Ricard Raquel, Brock Nelson had been doing a pretty good job holding onto that spot on the top line on the Islanders and on the top power play, actually. But he's been bumped. Right now, it's looking like the second line, with Ocposo out anyways, is Brock Nelson with Franz Nielsen and Ryan Strom. So I guess Strom is the one who moves out of the bottom six into the top six with this injury, because I remember Strom was playing with Mikhail Grabowski. And then, interestingly, the top line, the people playing with Tavares, and that's always, like, a thing we want to have as a player playing with John Tavares, even though he's been struggling a bit lately. But right now, this top line is... Josh Bailey and Anders Lee. So probably guys who are available in your league. Anders Lee was someone that people drafted expecting him to play with Tavares. And he was dropped in a lot of leagues once he got bumped down and he hasn't been having such a great season. But he's got another shot there. Brian, of these guys, like let's say if I'm talking about Josh Bailey, Anders Lee, maybe you have Brock Nelson and you're deciding whether to drop him for one of those guys, would you make that move? The curious thing here is that Nelson is still the guy who's producing the most of any first-line player, including John Tavares. So, of course, with Tavares, that's temporary. And also Nelson's production off the top line is also temporary. But really, if you're looking for consistent scoring or someone that you can count on in Long Island, Tavares, Nielsen, and Ocposo are probably the three guys you can count on. And then Strom, Bailey and Nelson and Lee seem to just, you know, put up a couple points and then go quiet, a couple points and then go quiet. So I would actually look to see if there's any other option available to you in free agency. I wonder how many people have burned so many games waiting 
for Strom or Lee or Nelson or Bailey to put up points. Those seem like the guys who are most often on rosters and not producing. I don't see this being the case for their entire careers for that whole lot, but it is the case right now. So whether or not to switch out Nelson for Lee or any mix and match of those, it's always just like kind of trying to hit the right guy at the right time, and it's very difficult to predict. If you want to try your best, obviously whoever's playing on that first line with Tavares is going to be your best bet. Yeah, and again, this is short-term, keep in mind. Like, there's this one game on Monday against Anaheim, and then after that, they don't play again until Sunday against Toronto, and by then, Ocpost will be back, and everything will get shifted around again, but if you really want to have someone for that game on Monday against Anaheim, maybe I would say Josh Bailey, just because he's also on the top power play, but it's a crapshoot. I think the main interesting thing here is just that, just like Ricard Raquel, it's interesting, in the same week, the two guys who I was surprised were on the top line for so long, Raquel and Nelson now have both been bumped. So if you're holding on to these guys in your leagues, I guess Nelson has still been producing for you lately, so you might want to hold on. But don't think of him as a super long-term option like you maybe were back when he was on the top line and top power play on the Islanders. Okay, and next on our trip around the league, let's stop in Columbus. There was a lot going on this week because Ryan Johansson was healthy scratched for a game. Apparently he admitted that he deserved it. So I don't know, he's saying the right things as a player, but there's a lot of trade rumors now about Johansson. So I guess actually, even before we talk about the line combos, Brian, what are your thoughts on Johansson in general? Because people were asking us all throughout the week if now's the time to buy low on Ryan Johansson since he got healthy scratched. Overall on the season, Johansson only has 22 points in 32 games. Not very spectacular at all. And, you know, this is compared to last year where he had 71 points in 82 games. The year before that, 63 and 82. So he seemed to be a player on the rise. Some people were expecting him to be like a point-per-game player this year. That clearly hasn't been happening. But do you think he's better than his current pace of 22 points in 32 games? He's definitely better than that. And the role that he deserves on the team at least by merits of his play. I'm not going to get into his attitude because I don't know what it's actually like, but that role should give him the opportunity to produce 65 plus for sure. I know he went super high in a lot of drafts this year. If you're in a keeper league, this is a good time to buy low on him. If you're in a redraft, I wonder, I don't know whose stubbornness wins out between Johansson's or Tortorella's. We saw what Tortorella did to the Sedins for an entire season, just totally submarined their production where people questioned, will they ever be able to produce again? We've seen this year that the answer to that question was yes, that they just had a case of Tortorella-itis. But overall, uh, yeah, Ryan Johansson should be somebody who you're still interested in, but in a one-year league, I would be a little concerned. I would definitely be careful about how much I'm willing to give up for him. This might come off as very silly, by the end of the year, if he does turn it on and everything works out okay. But I'm still a little hesitant. I don't love the situation he's in right now. Well, one positive sign, anyway, is that after this game of being healthy scratched, he came in yesterday, played with Boone Jenner and Nick Foligno, which I guess is as decent line mates as you could expect for him in Columbus. He was also back on the top power play. No points, though, on Columbus's two goals. And if you just look recently, the players on Columbus who you probably want to be owning are like Scott Hartnell. He has 10 points in his last eight games. And Alex Wenberg, who we brought up before, he's still going he had a goal and two assists in a game earlier this week against Arizona so he is doing really well maybe he's a good short-term ad but Brian I wanted to actually talk now about the Columbus blue line because both David Savard and Jack Johnson are injured David Savard we already know it's going to be long term he's been put on the IR with an ankle injury he's expected to miss four weeks Jack Johnson we don't really know how long he'll be out 
and I'm really actually hoping I own him in one of my pretty deep leagues and I was getting close to dropping him so now I'm kind of waiting for him to move to IR right now he's day to day I'm really hoping he will go on IR so I could just stash him and pick someone else up and maybe have him later if he does start picking up the offense but this has really opened up a door for Ryan Murray pretty much you know when we were earlier in the year deciding who's going to be the main guy in Columbus we were thinking it's either going to be Ryan Murray Jack Johnson or David Savard now with Johnson and Savard out Ryan Murray he played 31 minutes and 49 seconds yesterday so he's getting a huge role increase with those other two guys out he scored a goal yesterday four shots on goal I wonder if this is gonna be the start of something at least in the short term while Jack Johnson is out Brian what do you think about Ryan Murray as my deep short-term defense ad right now on Columbus like I think I'd rather have Ryan Murray right now than Trevor Daly how about that Well, that I'm going to disagree with. You were going in a really good direction until you went there. In the short term, I'd rather Trevor Daly, but Ryan Murray is definitely in the conversation at the very least. He saw seven minutes of power play time last night against Philadelphia, and in his last three games, he has seen greater than a 40% share of his team's total ice time, and those three times actually mark the first three times he's done that all season long. So clearly earning trust or at least de facto trust. There's really no other choice right now on that Columbus blue line to go for, for big minutes and power play potential production. And even with like fewer minutes on the season than Johnson and Savard, he's done about as well offensively as either one of them. So now that he has extra minutes and there's nobody he's really sharing time with, then you could go ahead and give him a shot if you have an empty D spot to fill. And another thing to consider if you're deciding between Ryan Murray and Trevor Daly. I guess you're more excited about Trevor Daly's offensive upside, but Ryan Murray's going to give you some peripherals. He's taking, first of all, more shots on goal than Trevor Daly. He had four shots, like I said, in the last game. A couple games ago, he had three shots. Also, he could give you some blocks, which you're definitely not going to get from Trevor Daly. With increased minutes comes increased blocks. We saw the same thing happening in Philadelphia with Michael Delzato when he got a lot more time with Mark Strait injured. The blocks went up as well. So if you need those types of peripherals, I do think Ryan Murray's someone to look at. Again, That could change once Jack Johnson's back and then definitely once David Savard's back. But that's not going to be for a long time. Just someone to keep your eye on. I'll be interested to check in next week and see if this was a silly prediction or whether people are going to be like, wow, good call on that Ryan Murray. Let's talk about a couple goaltenders now. Let's start in Toronto. So, man, Jonathan Bernier, he's kind of a lucky guy, right? Because he was just kind of left for dead earlier in the year, like fantasy-wise. like He was getting dropped from all leagues because James Reimer was doing amazing. He had clearly earned the number one spot. Then Bernier ended up getting sent to the minors and Sparks came in and even Sparks was doing pretty well. But now Reimer is still out. Sparks is now injured long-term, which means Jonathan Bernier gets another opportunity to be the starting goalie on Toronto. And, you know, it didn't start very well. He came into play against Tampa Bay, let in five goals there, then played against San Jose, let in three goals. That was two losses. Finally, a good start for Jonathan Bernier yesterday against LA. He got the shutout, a 26-save shutout. Believe it or not, compared to the rest of his year, that is like an insane result that no one could have predicted. But I guess now that Bernier has strung together one good game, and he is like for sure the only goalie that's going to see starts on Toronto. Like I don't even know who the backup is, Brian. Actually, maybe you could tell me who it is right now. Antoine Bibo. Ah, noted. So do you think that Bernier is worth adding right now in fantasy? Is this like a Anders Lindback situation where it's like add him, but he might blow up your numbers like he did for a lot of people last week? Or do you think he still could potentially get back to how he was, you know, a couple of years ago when people really wanted him in fantasy and they thought that he was a great addition for the Leafs? 
I think anyone who ever really wanted him in fantasy and thought he was a really good addition for the Leafs were maybe drinking a little too much of the Kool-Aid that the Leafs management were serving. Although he did come in strong, you know, he faced a ton of pucks in his first season with Toronto, posted 923 save percentage, which is very good. That was just one season, 55 appearances, and then the next year he posted a sub-average 912 save percentage, and everyone was starting to say, well, what's wrong with Jonathan Bernier? I don't think anything was ever wrong with Jonathan Bernier. We never really got to see exactly how good a goalie he could be before he was thrown into the Toronto pressure cooker. And now that he's there, the microscope is on him every start. Elon, you said, like, now he's got another opportunity. Every start so far this year has been prefaced with, well, he has a chance to redeem himself, and then he blows it. And then again, the next start, he has a chance to redeem himself. And now he's getting those chances just by default because the Leafs have Reimer out, they have Sparks out, and Antoine Bebo, I don't know if they're ready to put him in the net over trying to get Jonathan Bernier somewhat back on track. And I'm not going to say that he is back on track. In fact, far from it. But in his 12th appearance of the year, he finally picked up his first win of the season and did it in fine fashion, shutting out his former team, the Los Angeles Kings, stopping all 26 shots that he faced. Is he back? No, he's not back, but he still might have a chance to give you decent numbers over the course of a week, be a warm body for you in nets. I know he is for me on my team right now, but if you're hoping for like 920 plus performances on a regular basis, A, I don't know if he's capable of doing it, and B, once Reimer or Sparks returns, I'm not sure if he'll have the chance to do it unless he can start stringing those starts together right now. Well, yeah, as to your second concern, Reimer's just been having such a great season. So once he comes back, you would expect that he'll get the shot to reclaim what is rightfully his, that number one spot, because he has like a 935 save percentage on the year. But these groin injuries, you never know how long they're going to keep him out. They thought that he'd be back sooner. It's been extended. So who knows? In the short term, definitely Bernier is the only guy there. And if you look at the schedule, Toronto actually plays on Monday and Tuesday of next week. So I wonder if Bebo will get into the Nets, or if they'll give Bernier both games against Colorado and Arizona. Well, Bebo has just an 883 save percentage right now through 13 games at the AHL level, so I feel like unless they absolutely have to go to him, they will probably rather stick with Bernier. Well, Brian, in that case, good thing that you picked up Bernier in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, the Cupful, because we count saves as a category, and if you could get two Toronto Maple Leafs goalie starts, you're probably going to get a lot of saves just because they take so many shots against. But let's go to the other side of the spectrum now. Bernier is a goalie who maybe was once good and lately has been brutal. Let's talk about a goalie who was brutal at the start of the year, but now has been amazing. This is a great, I think, fantasy lesson for all of us to talk about Semyon Varlamov. He has been on fire lately. He has six wins in a row. Colorado has picked things up themselves, but a lot of it is because of Semyon Varlamov. If you look at all of his starts in December... Every single one is a quality start. Like, every single one has a sparkling save percentage. His lowest save percentage game in December is 944. Can you believe that? He's just been amazing, lights out. And Varlamov has done this before, right? Two years ago, he was, like, the most valuable goalie in fantasy or right among them. This year was so bad at the start. We had people 
asking about dropping him. There was the whole scare with Red O'Bara. It looked like Bara might challenge for time. I think I asked you on a podcast, is Red O'Bara going to steal time? And you admonished me and said, Elon, come on, long term, it's definitely Semyon Varlamov. He's the guy in Colorado. And for everyone who held on to Varlamov, obviously they're reaping the rewards now. So I guess, Brian, like two questions for you. First of all, is Varlamov going to keep this up? Like, do you still predict that he's going to be scary to own for certain stretches during the year? Or like, can you just be confident you have Varlamov? He's great. Don't worry about it. And then second, like, are there lessons to take away here? Like, what was it about Varlamov's performance early in the year that made you think people should still hang on to him? With the second question first, I don't know if it was that Varlamov's performance in the year was so strong. It's just that my faith in Bera was so weak. And Varlamov, as I said at the time, has really been given the green light to just run with this number one job pretty much through thick and thin. He's going to start when he's doing poorly. He's going to start 60 games a year if he's healthy enough to do it, at least. He and Patrick Waugh sort of go way back to the QMJHL. Everything, I think, looks good for Varlamov as Colorado's number one goalie, as long as Patrick Waugh is there. And Colorado's winning games lately, and Varlamov gives the Avs their best chance to win night in, night out. And they can win even while playing terrible, terrible hockey. So yeah, then as to my first question, have they been winning these games just because of Varlamov's strong play? Or are they a good team? Is Varlamov like a good goalie on a good team now? Well, in this December run, Varlamov has a 967 save percentage. And let's take a look at the shots against that they've been facing. Of course, like, you know, 25-30 is a reasonable expectation to face on a normal night, with 30 being kind of on the high end. In five of his eight December starts, Varlamov has faced 34 or more shots on goal. So really, I see him as a sort of Craig Anderson type in net. Someone who's going to face a ton of rubber. They're going to get you a whole lot of help in your saves category. But the wins category, well, that can come and go depending on how much run support they're getting, how much their team is scoring for them. They're both going to have the opportunity, at least when they give up a goal, to up their save percentage afterwards because they're going to face 35-40 shots on a semi-regular basis. So that's good news. But on the other hand, if they blow it, then they really, really blow it. That said, going back to just Varlamov, I think he's a great fantasy own for the rest of the year. He will wreck your save percentage from time to time. He's not going to be a 967 guy through the rest of the year, but he has shown that he can stay hot for long periods of time under extreme amounts of pressure. I think some people got impatient with him during his slow start to the season, and understandably so. But if he is still a free agent in your league, you need to remedy that now and pick him up. Yeah, and I guess let's remember this for next year. You know, when at the beginning of next year, when Bobrovsky and Varlamov and some of these guys are slumping out of the gate, we'll just say, look at last year. It all worked out fine. Some of these guys, you have to just rely on them being able to pick up their previous performance. Like last year, Colorado wasn't even that good. Varlamov still ended the year with a 921 save percentage, which was still like, you know, that's an above average goalie for sure. That's actually his save percentage right now. And perhaps it'll even rise because it's being anchored by such a horrible start. And it's been rising and rising ever since. But yeah, I remember myself, I felt down about Tuka Rask at the beginning of the year. He was really letting me down and blowing a couple of weeks for me. And I was wondering if I really blew it by drafting him so early in the cupful. But now Rask has won his last five games, has amazing save percentage. Just like Varlamov, I guess these are the types of goalies you just have to depend on and you have to stick with them even when they're slumping. I guess you could always like bench them during the cold stretches, but you don't want to drop them for nobody's like a Red O'Bara or something and in the end just really regret it. And I guess since we're talking about Tuka Rask in Boston, let's just do a whole segment about some players on hot streaks and we have to stay in Boston and talk about Ryan Spooner. Holy cow, in his last six games, he has 10 points. He's come out of nowhere. 
Before that, he only had 12 points in 25 games. Now he's up to 22 points in 31 games. But let's focus in on these last six games, which ended with a four-assist performance against Pittsburgh. Frank Vetrano actually had a hat-trick in that game, so he's another guy that I guess is currently on a hot streak. But I want to zoom in on Spooner. And you know what? It's not something that was completely out of nowhere. Because I remember reading on Roto World a couple of weeks ago that Spooner was playing on the top power play in Boston. And that's still been the case during this streak. He's playing with Krejci, Erickson, and Bergeron on that top power play. And that's obviously a recipe for getting some points. Then his line, he's only on the third line, but he's playing with Jimmy Hayes and Frank Vetrano. And like I said, Vetrano is doing really well as a rookie. And of these 10 points, four of them are on the power play. So Spooner's just in like a really good situation right now. Obviously, he's not going to keep up this pace, but if he's a free agent in your league, I feel like you have to grab him, right, Brian? At least as long as he's on the power play. Yeah, totally. I just checked to see if he was available for like the fourth time in the last two weeks. I feel like I've gone to look a lot because I can't believe that somebody already beat me to him. If he is still out there for you, then you should make a play for him because he has caught fire. And it's not just him on the Bruins. Like everything seems to be going right for players who are wearing Boston uniforms this year. And that hasn't been something that we could have said for like the last three years or so. So it's great to see some luck or some good fortune, maybe is a better word for it, happening in Boston. And right now, if you look at just Spooner, he's actually second amongst all Bruins regular playing forwards in points per 60 minutes at even strength. He is second only to David Krejci. My only concern with him, though, is that his shot attempt rates while he's on the ice are actually the worst amongst all Boston regular playing forwards. And his shot suppression is just as terrible. And of course, shot suppression isn't much to worry about in a fantasy perspective. You can give up shot attempts all day as long as you keep cashing in on your own. But Spooner just doesn't have a ton of actual shot attempts per 60 to date. So that's something that I'm going to be watching because to keep the points coming, on-ice shot attempts are going to have to be a piece of that puzzle. Yeah, I guess. And the other thing you could be concerned about with Spooner is his ice time still isn't there compared to the other guys he's playing with. He's been seeing closer to like 13, 14 minutes a game as opposed to like 17 or 18 that you'd want to have from a guy on your roster. But I still say in the short term, grab him. If he gets bumped from the top power play, I'd say that would be the time to let go. And if he could put it together another strong week, maybe then it would be the time to even sell high. So grab him now hold him and then you'll either drop or sell in the near future I think but for now good guy to own he had a good run last year I remember playing with Pasternak yeah and since you brought him up Pasternak has not had a terribly disappointing season he just has been injured for a lot of it Uh, four points in 10 games before he got hurt and he's going to go down to Providence to see if he can work on his game and get ready to come back and help out the Bruins he has 24 shots on goal so far this season not bad If anyone did get impatient or didn't have an IR spot for him, that will be their loss pretty soon. I feel like Pasternak should be in a decent position to produce. I do wonder how it will affect the rest of the Boston lineup. I feel like by giving him opportunities, there's going to be some kind of ripple effect on the rest of the Bruins who are producing very well so far. So that'll be something to watch when he does make his return to the lineup. Yeah, and if you think that Spooner is young at 23, Pasternak is 19. He's still World Junior eligible. There's still a question of whether he might play in this year's World Junior Championship. That's how young he is. Yeah, it's wild. Well, so it's good for the Bruins. They have a bright future ahead, potentially. And, you know, everyone was so upset with the Bruins over the summer and how they lost Hamilton and they traded Lucic. But you know what? They're not doing too bad. They're definitely finding ways to score goals. Tuka Rask is Tuka Rask. Zdeno Chara somehow is still providing value to them. Overall, you know, not so bad to be a Bruins fan right now. 
By the way, Zidane Chara, 18 points in 29 games, over a half point per game pace right now. That's pretty insane. A lot of people thought that he was done as a fantasy asset, but definitely that's not the case. And speaking of aging defensemen, let's go to the Rangers and talk about Dan Boyle. This is another guy who's come out of nowhere. He was also left for dead in fantasy and also on the Rangers. I remember he was getting healthy, scratched a lot, not playing many minutes. Now, all of a sudden, I see he is on quite the run, five points in his last six games, and he's getting a decent amount of power play time. He's actually on the top power play with Ryan McDonough as the other defenseman, along with Nash, Brassard, and Zuccarello. And surprisingly, Keith Yandel is on the second unit, playing with, you know, the second unit types of guys like Chris Kreider and JT Miller, and I guess Derek Stepan now that he's back. So maybe we'll see how things shake out a bit more with Stepan's return. He only has played one game. But I'm talking about Dan Boyle. And definitely a big surprise, he was a free agent for sure in most leagues, but his ownership has skyrocketed. He's up to 71.5% in ESPN, and why not? Along with all of these points, he's also giving some blocks lately, and I guess, again, he's getting more ice time. You're going to expect more blocks. Three blocks against Winnipeg in the Rangers' last game. Actually, the Rangers are playing today. Probably by the time you listen to this podcast, the game will already be over, so I'll be interested to see if Boyle can keep this up. But I think definitely in the short term... You know, Dan Boyle's the guy who has had a career of getting points, right? Like, there was many seasons with the Sharks where he was getting over 45, 50 points. Back with the Lightning, he's had 63 points in a year before. So Dan Boyle, but of course, he's a journeyman. He's already 39 years old. When he went to the Rangers, I remember, Brian, you predicted that you thought he'd have still a chance to produce and people shouldn't forget about him. He had kind of a weak year last year, 20 points in 65 games, and this year was looking even worse. So it just seemed like it was over, but clearly he's having one last run. So get in on it. Yeah, no, that 45 plus or 60 plus point Dan Boyle is long gone. And it took him two years to get to this point where he could have fantasy relevance in New York. But he's doing it right now, and he's come a long way there specifically. There were preseason hit pieces being written about him and how he doesn't contribute to the team and how he's not really a ranger and how he hasn't bought in. And now he is contributing to the team. He has just one fewer power play point than Keith Yandel. But it looks like the difference between Yandel and Boyle is that Boyle is going to have to stay on that first unit if he wants to stay relevant fantasy-wise because his even strength numbers, both the rote ones and the underlying ones, are absolutely abysmal. They are not even up to the standard of what he had last season, which was a disappointing season in and of itself. So Boyle, maybe a good short-term ad for as long as he's on that top power play unit. I don't know how long he's going to last there. And so I only say short-term in the sense that you need to be watching consistently to make sure that, oh yes, he's still on that unit. He's still on that unit. And when he falls off it, that's when he needs to fall off your roster. It's worth noting, by the way, that Yandel is still producing, by the way, even without that power play time. He has three even strength points in his last five games played, despite a decreased role on the power play. Yeah, so Brian, you know how I was saying before that I have Jack Johnson on my roster and I'm thinking I should drop him, but I'm also just kind of waiting for him to go on IR so I don't have to? Dan Boyle's the guy who I'm looking at, that somehow he hasn't been added yet in my league. What do you think? Do I just drop Johnson for Boyle right now or should I just wait and hopefully get Johnson on IR? I think I'd wait it out. I feel like Johnson and Boyle's value at the end of the day is going to be reasonably similar in the short term, especially if Johnson does come back to play in the near future. And long-term, I'd still like Johnson a little bit more. So I guess it depends how many comparable free agent options there are out there for you. If Boyle doesn't work out and you've lost Johnson, who the next best guy is, 
I might be tempted to wait another day or two, see if you can stash Johnson before adding Boyle, unless you're in like a really desperate D situation and feel like you need to make that move. Wow, Brian, that was a great insightful answer. And you know what? My league doesn't have many great free agent defensemen. Boyle like really stands out because of that. And so, yeah, you're right. If Boyle didn't work out, I would be kind of in trouble. Great advice. And you know what? You could get advice like this from Brian all the time by becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson because we have a patron-only Facebook group and people are asking questions just like mine and Brian's giving these really useful and insightful answers. You know, people post their rosters to really, like, give all the context needed to give the best advice. And, you know, it's not only Brian giving advice. I'm there answering questions and all the other patrons. It's a really great time. And, yes, I am talking about the patron program for Keeping Carlson right now. This is something that you could get in on if you're not in on it yet. If you go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron, you could support the show. We're asking for $5 a month. If you enjoy the podcast, you want to support us, and you get access to this patron-only Facebook group as well as access to the PatronCast. Brian mentioned the PatronCast earlier in the show. It was probably one of our best ones. On Tuesday, we had a bunch of people there. It was a live show. People were asking questions. We had a chat room going. We covered every single question that was asked. We went through the list. We went super long, but it was worth it. You could actually listen to that. If you're a patron or if you become a new patron, you could listen to all archived patron casts. We discussed lots of things. This was right after all the craziness happened in Pittsburgh. So we were talking about Trevor Daly and Zatkoff. So if this sounds interesting to you, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And I want to thank the existing patrons of the show. Thank you so much for supporting us, keeping us going, and also for making the Facebook group such a fun place to be. And let me throw a thank you to new patron Chris Oxford. Thanks for signing up. By the way, if you're a patron who hasn't been thanked on the show, it's because I like to just make sure you give me permission to thank you live on the air. Maybe you don't want your league mates to know that you are supporting this podcast and getting this extra help to give you the edge. So if you are a new patron and I haven't thanked you on the show and you want me to, I'm happy to. Just let me know. And also, patrons have an exclusive link to our new Keeping Carlson t-shirt at cost. What do we get out of it if it's just at cost? Well, we just like the fact that you'll have this shirt and that it has a Twitter handle on it. Maybe you can help us get a couple extra followers. That link is in the sidebar on the Facebook page. If you can't see it, just look on the right-hand side. You'll have to click a little see more arrow to be able to see it. And everybody else who might be interested in seeing what it looks like or ordering a shirt yourself, you can head on over to keepingcarlson.com shirt. Yeah, I'm really proud of this shirt. Check it out. Even if you don't want to buy it, Just take a look. We have a funny little tagline on the back. It's a nice color, a really nice design. A designer from my work, someone who's paid professionally to do this kind of thing, designed our shirt for us. I think I told him that I'd give him a cut of the profits, but then we're selling them at cost to the patrons. I don't think there's going to be many profits. Oh, well, it is a really nice shirt. Well, I just got our delivery of them, Elon. I ordered two shirts for us, and they look even better than I thought they would. All this to say, we have a cool shirt. You can too. (laughs) Okay. Enough about the shirt. (laughs) Right, okay. Enough about the shirt. Enough about the patrons, though we do love the patrons. Let's close out the show with a bit of a lightning round. I still have a bunch of players I want to talk about, Brian. I guess I always do, and I'm sure you do as well. Let's start in Minnesota. How can we not have yet mentioned Miko Koivu? Over the past few weeks, we've talked about Jason Pominville getting back on the top power play. We've talked about Mikhail Granlin's streak. We've talked about, I guess, Parise coming out of injury and Thomas Vanek doing well. But we haven't really talked about Koivu. And this guy, he's got four goals and five assists in his last four games, which is insane. 
puts him at 29 points in 31 games on the year. And yes, I'm talking about Miko Koivu. He's 32 years old. We did not expect him to be on like a 70, 75 point pace this year. He had 48 points in 80 games last year. 54 points in 65 the year before. So actually, that was a good year. But last year, I remember we got a lot of questions. Should I drop Miku Koivu as a time? I actually recall, Brian, I'm giving you a lot of props this week. But like, I recall you telling people, no, he still has something to give. He should do better. And last year, you know, he did okay. Like almost 50 points. Not bad. But this year, he's been insane. This current run is spectacular. So if you're a Miko Koivu owner, I feel like you have to like try to sell high, right, Brian? Or am I wrong? Like, do we expect him to get 70 plus points this year after he couldn't even hit 50 last year? I was going to say, speak for yourself, Elon, that Koivu is not like the amazing player he was earlier in his career. I think he had an off season last season. And you know what? Several players on the Wild did. And now that the Wild are producing a little bit more, you've got Koivu being able to cash in a little bit more often. Now, it's been a bit of like a rocky ride for his valuation. He started off the year with 20 points in 20 games. So that's a point-per-game pace. And then he had a seven-game point drought, which gave him 20 points in 27 games. And now with that recent run he's just had, he has 29 points all of a sudden in 31 games. So he's almost back at a point-per-game pace already. And honestly, I really do think that this is about where he should be. Maybe a touch high. If you can sell him as an 80-point player, then by all means go for it. But I feel like 65 Maybe even 70 points is a reasonable expectation for Koivu, especially since he's also seeing time on that top power play. Yeah, it's a great situation for Koivu right now. That top power play, Parise, Koivu, Pominville, and Vanek, along with Ryan Suter on defense, they have been just scorching. Zach Parise, by the way, I have him in the cupful, and he's been amazing. He was injured for so long. It was kind of disappointing. Hadn't really been doing that well before he got injured. He's also on an amazing hot streak right now, right along with Koivu. He's actually on a seven-game point streak currently and taking a ton of shots. So Parise is back to being the extremely valuable fantasy asset, like a whole other level than Miko Koivu. But back to Koivu. If you think he could get 65, 70 points, wow, like that's higher than I would expect. I would say closer to 60 points maybe as his upside. So you're definitely really high on him. Well, I was the eternal optimist last year. I think I had him drafted on a couple rosters, including our joint one. And I made a case for a very long time to keep him on our roster, even though he wasn't producing. And it did come in little spurts here and there. But yeah, last year he was not a very exciting player to own. I think he's returned to form for the most part this year. The most surprising thing about him, actually, is that he's 32 years old. I really didn't think he was that old. I always think of him as Saku's younger brother. But I suppose sooner or later we're going to be looking at him as a veteran player on the opposite arc of his career. Yeah, well, that's where I thought he was last year. But yeah, definitely a resurgence for Miku Koivu. And you know, the thing with him was also, I remember last year, the concern was, okay, he's off the top line now. We always thought of him as the top line center on Minnesota, but Mikhail Granlin took his spot. And Mikhail Granlin has continued to take his spot. It's Granlin with Parise and Pominville on the first line, but Koivu's got himself a decent pair of line mates in Thomas Vanek and Jason Zucker. So there's a good reason why he should be able to keep up getting points. And of course, on the top power play, while Mikhail Granlund is not there. Happy times for her Koifu owners, I guess. And I guess they're happy to hear you say that you think he could keep up this production to some extent. And you know what? Another older player that's having quite the resurgence right now is Francois Beauchemin on Colorado. I tweeted about him a couple of days ago saying how, come on, Boche, stop giving me all these points. I just want blocks. But in seriousness, it's crazy. He's got six points in his last six games. And this is Francois Beauchemin, right? He's not known for getting like a ton of points, at least not lately. But overall in the year, he has 19 points in 34 games. If I was saying before that Zdeno Chera has kept it up, like Beauchemin has pretty much the same numbers as Chera. 
but it's completely unexpected. He's also giving you shots. Like he had five shots against the Islanders a couple of games ago, and the blocks are there. It's actually surprising. In his last two games, he has no blocks, but before that, he was getting three, five, two, four. So I hope the blocks will keep coming because, Brian, what I'm going to say, maybe you'll be surprised because I've been such a Boshman fan. I definitely don't expect the points to keep coming. Like I was thinking of him as more of a guy who could give me like a point every two games, maybe every three games, but be a consistent source of blocks. And that's why I have him on my Cupful team. At this point, if you could find someone who thinks of Boshaman as an over half point per game defenseman, especially if your league doesn't count blocks, but even if it does, I think now would be a good time to try to trade Boshaman. And might I suggest trying to trade him for like Eric Johnson? Because Johnson only has 11 points on the season while Boshaman has 19. So I think you might be able to make that deal. But Johnson is on the top power play on Colorado and he's the one with more of a pedigree to get points. So I do expect him to get more points. And Johnson also gets a ton of blocks. He's got actually four, three, three, four, six. I'm counting down his blocks from the last few games. So he's probably reliable to get just as many blocks as Bosch and I expect him to get more points. So hopefully my cupful participants aren't listening. Or actually, if you are and you have Eric Johnson and you disagree with me, send me that trade offer and I'll make it. But if you're in another league and you have Boschman, you're enjoying him right now, but maybe now's the time to also really enjoy him by selling him off to someone for someone that's worth more than he should be. When I look for reasons to figure out why Boschman is having the season he's having, the first thing that jumps out at me is that his power play time on ice so far this year. He's already at 71 minutes playing with the man advantage. Last year, all season, he only saw 94 minutes. And in fact, if he kept up this sort of pace for power play time on ice, he would likely play more power play minutes than he's seen since maybe 2009-2010 when he was a mainstay on Toronto's power play unit. So that's a long time ago that he was able to do that. But the thing is, is that his power play time has sort of been dropping, at least as a function of his share of his team's total power play time. He actually has seen zero power play minutes and zero power play seconds in the last two games the Avalanche has played. And before that, he's bouncing around, you know, seeing maybe a quarter of his team's power play time, 35% of his team's power play time. Whereas earlier in the season, he was seeing regularly like 40 and 50%. Now, there really isn't any pattern, though. Like, he does bounce from 21 to 58 to 32 to 43. So it's kind of all over the place. But if he keeps getting that power play time, I suppose he's going to be in pretty good shape to at least collecting points there. But at even strength, the one number that stands out to me is his IPP. That's his individual points percentage. So it says, of all the goals that are scored while he's on the ice, it shows you how many of them, what percentage of them, he has managed to register a point on. And right now his IPP is at 53%, which is pretty high, especially for a defenseman and especially for him. He's never finished the season with an IPP above 37%. And last season it was more like 35%. So we can probably expect him to see a little bit of a drop in that even strength point production just due to the fact that he might not get to touch the puck before a goal is scored. He has seven even strength assists so far this year. Only one of them has been a primary assist. So that'll be something to watch going forward with Francois Beauchemin. Yeah, and I guess we started this by being excited about Beauchemin, and then all of a sudden now we're being negative about him. If you picked him up as a free agent earlier in the year, like I did, you're feeling great, and you deserve to feel great. And now we're just saying maybe now's a chance to sell high. But also, you know, good job on picking up a guy who's probably added a lot of value to your fantasy team. Actually, you know, I'm not being negative about him. In fact, if I had him, I'm not racing to sell high. I'm not racing to find a replacement. I'm not panicking at all that he's about to fall off a cliff. 
I'm going to wait it out until he stops producing. Those are just a couple reasons. I was actually trying to make you feel better, Elon, for feeling like selling high. I was trying to encourage you to go with that move if that's what you felt like doing. There's still reason to believe he can produce at even strength. But yeah, over a half a point per game pace, probably a little high. Well, we'll see if I could uh, pull the trigger on something. It's kind of hard when all the people in my league are listening to my podcast where we're talking about this. But okay, Boschman has been adding value to our teams. Let's end the show by talking about some people who haven't, at least not lately. Let's go into our Keeping Carlson Patented Snoozers segment. Brian, I've got a couple of snoozers, and I think you do as well. How about we just take turns, and I'm going to start with Valerie Nichushkin. I know we just talked about him a couple of weeks ago being the hot thing, and then last week we said... Uh, maybe it won't keep up. Already now, Nachushkin, he's off the top line. He's off the second line. He's back in the bottom six on Dallas. In yesterday's game, he was playing alongside Patrick Eves and Vernon Fiddler. So a bit of a drop-off from Ben and Sagan, or even Spezza and Sharp. So I think it might be time to go with your next lottery ticket. Hey, maybe Ryan Spooner, maybe Connor Sheary. I'd rather have both of those guys than Nachushkin right now. He only played 12 minutes in the last game. Obviously no production. And I just think that it's a good lesson also. We've been trying to take some lessons away in this episode, and I think you can't get too crazy about someone getting on the top line in Dallas because they shuffle so much. Brian, do you even know who right now is occupying that spot alongside Ben and Sagan? Cody Egan. Yeah, that's a very good guess, and that could have been the answer. Actually, in the last game, it was Patrick Sharp. You know, that makes the line the scariest because Sharp is actually a guy who could produce offense on his own. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's switched to someone else. Maybe even Nachushkin gets another shot next time. Probably not worth dropping someone amazing for him, even if he gets back there, because I don't expect it to last, at least not this season. Yeah, on that Nachushkin roller coaster that has been going up and down, up and down for the last two plus seasons now, it is currently on its way down. Dropped Nachushkin. You don't need him unless he's in that top six consistently. If anybody jumped the gun, you know, we even suggested on the show that it could be a good time to jump the gun because you're going to have to get him earlier than the rest of your competition at some point or another. Unfortunately, this was not the time. I'd say you can lose him from your roster until further notice. Right. And and just to say, like, Brian, that was more you saying to take a shot on Nichushkin. I think I was pretty firmly in my stance. And this is my one thing I have to hang my hat on because I know a lot of people were excited about him and I was saying right from the start, I'm not too excited about him, so I just want to cling to that. Cling away. (laughs) Speaking of (laughs) cling, John Klingberg. No, okay, no. He's just doing the same. Brian, why don't you give us your next snoozer? Well, Nazem Kadri is someone that I finally dropped off my roster because after all we'd been through together, he still wasn't getting power play time. He still wasn't scoring goals. He still wasn't getting points. And his shot totals had even dropped off. I had Tyler Ennis coming off the IR. I said, okay, Nazem Kadri, enough. We've had a good run. And I dropped him. I figured I was snoozing on him. And then, of course, he picks up two assists the other night, playing with Leo Komarov and Michael Grabner. Elon, as you mentioned at the top of the show, I'm not saying I regret my decision. All of a sudden, it wouldn't have changed my fantasy fortunes this week, which is a relief in a way, because I'm just that far behind in the assist category in my matchup right now. But I think if he is on your roster, maybe he's earned himself a stay for another game or two, but he is essentially snoozer material unless he starts appearing on that first power play unit or his shot count goes up again and that's something that's important to you. Otherwise, I think you can drop him, let him be in free agency until he starts stringing a few games together, at which point his value might be worthwhile enough for you to add back on. 
Yeah, the thing with Kadri earlier in the year, he's been, you know, bad all year in terms of straight-up point production. He only has 14 points in 31 games. But the reason why we were so excited about him early on is, first of all, he was, like, among the shot leaders in the league. He was taking so many shots on goal. But, you know, that has almost completely disappeared. Like, it's not only that he's fallen off of being one of the top shot getters. He's, like, down to getting, like, one, two a game. Like, every once in a while he gets three. But lately, just the shots haven't been there. And also, he was on that top line. He was with, like, James Van Riemsdyk. He was on the top power play. He was getting great opportunities. Now he's on the second line, not on the top power play. He just now is, like, a middling Toronto guy. Like, he still has the potential to get back on the top line and on the top power play and to start taking shots again. Like, he's not a middling guy. He's a talented player, and I do expect him to go on nice runs, but he's definitely not the sure thing to break out that I thought he was earlier in the year when he was taking all those shots and just, you know, not banking on them. And with Kadri off that top line, the guy who has been centering the first line in Toronto is Tyler Bozak. And on the top power play unit, he's playing with Parento and James Van Riemsdyk, and Bozak has been doing fantastic while Kadri is slumping Bozak is thriving. He has five points in his last five games, 19 points in 27 games on the season. This is a guy who we thought wouldn't be able to do very much this year without having Phil Kessel on his wing. At this point, I'd rather have him than Kadri, to be honest. Well, over the last month, they both have seven points in 12 games, so it doesn't necessarily look that impressive if you look through that lens in terms of a difference between them. But Bozak definitely deserves props. And Elon, I can't remember. I feel like we mentioned this on the show before. Maybe it was during a patron cast or a conversation on the Facebook group. But Tyler Bozak has had a pretty good season so far this year, like you've said. And I feel like he's not getting the attention he deserves for it. He faced a ton of negativity for being essentially the anchor that prevented Phil Kessel from scoring 20 more goals every season. But right now, he's got 19 points in 27 games played, which puts him on pace for 50. 55 this year, which would be pretty respectable on a really offensively weak Toronto team. A lot of people might see him in their free agency list and just scroll right past him because of all the terrible things that have been said about him for the past several years. And like justifiably, he's been a pretty bad hockey player. But right now, fantasy wise, he's in a decent position where he's producing at over a half a point per game pace. And that makes him someone who is worth having on your radar at the very least. Okay, and the last snoozer of the week, but it'll be accompanied by a guy that you should maybe pick up. I'm going to say Anders Lindback is a snoozer. You might have added him when you found out that Mike Smith was going to be injured long term and he was going to be the de facto new starter on Arizona, but he's been so, so bad. He let in four goals against Columbus and only made six saves before getting pulled. That's a 600 save percentage for those keeping track. He's just been bad all year. He's not the guy that you can add to your team because he's a warm body and he'll get you at least some games. Like, he will do that, but he'll ruin your save percentage in the process. I just have no faith in Anders Lindback. And right now, it's looking like the Arizona Coyotes don't need to go with him. Like Yesterday, they played Louis Domingue, and he got a shutout against the Islanders. So they're definitely going to go with Domingue again, and I feel like there's a really good chance that Domingue will get the majority of starts moving forward, and it won't be Anders Lindback. So if you picked up Lindback hoping to get some extra starts, I think you might as well just drop him right now. Try to get Demang if anybody. Right, so everybody heard me just rag on Lindback so hard last week, and then I myself found myself in a position where I needed to add him to avoid just getting totally blown out in one of my leagues this week. And so I did. I put in like a couple dollars in my free agent budget to make sure I got him. And then from a start of his, I got six 
saves. Like, that's crazy. No goalie should get you just six saves, like maybe 10 saves, maybe 12 saves. But that botched start could cost me one of the few categories that I was actually winning this week in my cup full pool. And of course, I am done with him. He was dropped very quickly after that. And Louis Domingue, why not? Why not? If you were someone who was thinking about Lindback, stop thinking about Lindback. Add Domingue. His shutout means he's probably going to get the next start. And if he can string together another good start and another half-decent start after that, I don't see why the Coyotes are in any rush to go back to Lindback. And just to give Dauber a little bit of credit, he's been going on about Domingue and the Ramblings for some time now. He thinks that he will slowly be able to take over the number one position while Mike Smith is out, and perhaps that process has already begun. All right, well, that's nice. We ended the snoozer segment on a positive note. Drop Lindback, grab Domingue. Brian, I see you had the option to grab Domingue. You went with Jonathan Bernier. I guess you're thinking more long-term. What about short-term? If people are deciding between the two of them, these are the two likely free agent goalies we've discussed in this episode, who would you suggest grabbing for like the next four weeks? I'd say you're in huge trouble either way. I think I'd really slightly lean towards Bernier just because he has some kind of NHL resume, whereas Domingue, we really just have no idea what's going to come from him. He's just the de facto number one. Not that Bernier isn't, but at least Bernier, as we said at the top of the show, has posted a 922 in an NHL season before. Right, yeah. So I guess more of a reliable option that's you can't really say that about Jonathan Bernier right now it's probably a coin flip at the end of the day like you said it's probably the type of thing that could go either way so who would you take though yeah I guess I agree with you I guess I'd go with Bernier he has been good before maybe he can do it again trying to think of who's a worse team who's a worse team to be a goalie for Toronto or Arizona yeah that's sort of what it comes down to and I think it also depends on like your team situation like if you're like me and you have three goalies on the IR and you just need to make sure you're getting those starts then Bernier is probably the option but if you're looking for a number three or a number four goalie then maybe Domingue is more worth a flyer to see if he can do better than Bernier even though he never has in the past because he hasn't had that chance if you want to be there for you know his quote-unquote upside then maybe he's the play you want to make in that situation. Yeah, and I guess it's always possible. Maybe it will be a John Gibson situation all over again, right? Where Gibson was in the minors, Anderson got injured, Gibson came in, and then when Anderson came back, Kudobin got sent down. Maybe it'll be Lindback that gets sent down when Mike Smith comes back, if Demang does well. So there is a possibility... Who knows? You know, it's new. He has one shutout. He has one game and one shutout. He came in the game before in relief, and then aside from that, he has one start, got the shutout, so... Got to be excited about him now. We'll see what he does after a few more games. But Brian, that takes us to the end of the show. What a fun discussion this has been. We've covered so many players. I really hope that we've given you guys some advice that will help carry you through your holiday stretch. Because unfortunately, we're not going to be doing an episode next week. We're taking a hopefully well-deserved week off during the holidays. But we'll for sure be available over Twitter and, of course, Facebook for the patrons. So tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson, with any questions. And also let us know what you thought of this show, what you thought of all of our shows from 2015. We'd love to hear any feedback, criticisms, comments. Always great to hear from you guys. So, yeah, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. And if you're in the giving mood, you could always go over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. That is, like, the best way you could support the show without actually giving us money and becoming a patron because that raises our profile. And if you do want to become a patron, like I said before, you know, you could try it out for, like, a month. If you don't like it, it only costs you five bucks, and then you could just cancel your patron membership. So check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I have a feeling once you get in on this Facebook group, if you're the type of person that likes to talk about fantasy hockey all the time, then you'll have a good time being a patron of Keeping Carlson. But... 
Okay, Brian, I'm done. Let's cue that outro music and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Frozen Pool and Dauber Hockey, Yahoo Sports, ESPN, and Roto World. Thanks, Brian. Great job as always. And I'll talk to you again in 2016. We will absolutely wishing everybody the best over the holiday season. Have a safe and happy new year. And until 2016, keep on keeping Carl Song.